Welcome to Game On Business Talk Radio with your host, Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Our program is not afraid to discuss controversial business ideas and topics. Get ready for an unfiltered discussion of problems and solutions that today's businesses, large or small, face daily. Now, here's Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Hi, this is Game On Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We have an awesome show for you today. Get some coffee and have a seat. You're going to need a bottle and a seatbelt. This is Game On Business Talk on Nasty Syndicated Radio. We have a wonderful show today. We have a wonderful guest today for our show. Let me give you some insight on our topic today. Our topic today is on leadership during times of change, leadership challenges during COVID-19. Our guest today is Nancy J. Lewis, president and founder of Progressive Techniques Incorporated. Nancy is a leading motivational, inspirational keynote speaker, trainer, author, registered corporate coach. She's a leadership expert and a consultant based in Fayetteville, Georgia. Some of our clients have been Delta Airlines, Chick-fil-A, the Coca-Cola Company, Georgia Power, Ford Motor Company, AT&T, Kimberly Clark Corporation, and many others, many other clients. She has an MS degree from Georgia State University. She has a BA from Indiana State University. And I want to welcome our wonderful guest today. I really, uh, one of our guest experts today is Nancy J. Lewis, president and founder of Progressive Techniques Incorporated. How you doing, Nancy? Thank you I'm so much fine. for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> wow, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this show all week, actually all two weeks. And um, <laughs> we have an interesting uh, scenario today. We have the, we're dealing with the COVID-19, and we have uh, some leadership challenges. And I want, to, I want to get your insight on that. You know, one of the things that, you know, this COVID-19 has shown is uh, this is a game changer. People were not experience expecting this and I know that you do a lot of work with a lot of companies and you definitely value your insight on leadership and I guess management decisions on this what are some of the things that you've observed in terms of leaders and their issues in COVID-19 what are some of the things you observed one of the key things that I first saw is this this COVID-19 took place is that people automatically were going all of a sudden virtual now, there were people who were doing some virtual work, you know, a couple of days here, a couple of days there. But when COVID-19 hit in March, it was like, boom, total virtual. And what that created for many leaders who don't know how, who were, who were challenged leading in the office, this created even a greater challenge for them because now they were having to lead from afar, leading virtually. And that became a problem for some of them because they – Yes, you can do the Zoom, we can do the WebEx, we can do all these ways of virtual calling in, checking in, but they weren't physically in a place where the leader could walk down the hall and see what's going on. And so that was creating a lot of problems for a lot of people that were in leadership positions. Some were okay with it, but I think just that was the initial thing. People were shocked because now, what do we do? My employees aren't coming in. What am I going to do? Well, employees can basically gauge themselves as to how they work, but there was a lack of leadership skills, they were managers and directors, and they may have the title, but they weren't actually leaders. Because leaders, even in the midst of change, they know how to navigate, they know how to pivot, which is what people had to do in this. They had to learn how to pivot. And some people were challenged in the pivoting. When you, when you say pivot, uh, why, do, why do they have a problem doing that? What's, what's been your experience with that, Nancy? Because people are, sometimes I've worked with a lot of people who are confident who they are. They're confident as leaders, they're confident that many people have been put in positions of leadership that sometimes are not equipped with the skills to do it. Now, you can learn leadership skills, but I know there have been times I've worked with clients and I've worked in places where people have been promoted beyond their level of competence, for lack of better terms. The skill sets they don't have. You can go to classes, you can send people to classes, and they can learn what leadership is, leadership 101, leadership 202, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, if I come back into the workplace, if I'm not held accountable for changing my behavior and those skills I learned to apply them and how I deal with people, I'm going to still be ineffective. And so I think people have a problem pivoting because it represents change. Who wants change? Who likes change? Who is saying, yeah, bring change on? Most people are challenged by change because of uncertainty. What would the change bring? Uh, the risk of what's going to happen if it doesn't work. So there are all these factors that get involved when people think about change because sometimes you don't have control in the change. 
that is really interesting. Do you, uh, based on your expert opinion, do you believe that uh, there is it an issue where they don't want to change, or are they not embracing the change? Because obviously, this COVID nineteen has changed a lot of things for everybody. They have to really reinvent the way they do business. Do you think it's more of a resistance to change, or are they just not on board with the change? What's been your experience with that, Nancy? I think it's a lot. I think it's a little bit of both. There's resistance because people think about it. We're all comfortable with what we know. We're comfortable in our comfort zone. That's what people like to ride. People like to be in their comfort zone because it makes them feel they're comfortable. You, when you're out of your comfort zone, you're uncomfortable. That's when you're on, that's the only time you're really growing, when you're uncomfortable. When you're comfortable, you're on automatic. There's no growth taking place because you can do things one, two, three by rote. So the challenge is sometimes when we step outside of our comfort zone, we may fail, we may have a misstep, but that's okay. Failure is not final unless you don't get back up. And so some people, because of their, the way they've been indoctrinated, how long they've been in the company, sometimes it's a historical, they've been there for a long time and things have been done a certain way, so they're reluctant to want to change. And so they've gotten into this, this comfort zone where sometimes new people have come on board and they're like, hey, bring the change on, I'm okay, I can pivot, I can make adaptations, whatever I need to do. So I think there's resistance because of the unknowing of what's going to happen. And sometimes I'm, I don't want to change. Some people just simply don't want to change. This is how I do it. I had a manager once who told me, he was, we were in a seminar. It was just like I, just, just, I had to talk to him offline. He said, you know, he was a manager. He had people that reported to him, but he said he didn't like people. <laughs> what? He said he didn't like people. He said, so they get a check. He said, so why do I have to talk to them about anything other than business? They get a check. He said, so I don't really want to talk to them about what's going on in their personal life. Now, that may have worked 20 years ago. Well, you can get away with that. That is not the model that you want to use today because your people are, they bring their whole self to work. And How is this guy about, managing people with that 19, 1800 attitude? That sounds like something from the Industrial Revolution. Well, you have to realize people come from different walks of life. And as one of my coaching clients told me, sometimes, you know, you think about things, you look at life, and what we want is we want people to be like us. We want people, if I'm a good manager, this is how I do things. We want people to model after us. And she said something to me that was just very profound. She said, you have to stop expecting you from other people. Oh, wow. I like that. Wow. I had to stop for a moment. I'm like, because she said she was getting, she was having a, as a team, she was a team lead. She said, I'm expecting certain things from my team. And she said, they're not giving it to me the way I want it. Now, they were giving her what she needed, but it wasn't the way she wanted it done. And see, sometimes people, leaders, well, let's say managers who are some, hopefully they're leaders as well, because you can be a manager without being a leader. You can be a leader without being a manager. Yes. But sometimes we have a process of you are leading a group, and you're saying, okay, I want this project done, project X, Y, Z, and I want it done this way. And the point is it may be, be able to be done a different way, but some people want it done prescribed. I want you to go through steps one through five like I do. You might get the same results going five, three, two, one. It doesn't matter. If you get the results, it doesn't matter how you got there. If the results are what you need, then you find the pathway that gets you there. We're getting what we need. But some people, it's like, it's got to be my way or no way at all. And so that creates <clears throat> a lot of issues because people are like, let me have the freedom to be able to use my mind. I'm still giving you what you want. But that's a person who is lacking confidence. That's a person who is not sure of themselves sometimes for different reasons. Because sometimes a lot of younger workers sometimes will question, why are we doing it this way? They will question authority. And sometimes people will say, they're, they're, in, they're, they're upset with that because, because I'm the manager. You just do what I tell you to do. But you have to understand as the workplace becomes more diverse and you have more younger workers coming in, millennials and Zoomers, they're going to sometimes ask you, okay, why are we doing it this way? And not sometimes not to be giving you a hard time. They simply want to understand why we're doing it this way for understanding. But if you're not confident in who you are, sometimes you take it as they're challenging you. No, they just want to know why we're doing it because there may be a better way, a more efficient way of doing it that they may be able to bring to the table. I like what you just said because that seems to be uh, systemic in people that are dictators at the job and not, what do you call it, facilitators. Mm -hmm. And I know you, we study management theory in school, you know, the theory X and theory Y, <laughs> and, 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 you know, management has to adapt to the people that they have, not how mm -hmm. people adapt to their management style. And I think, I, I bet you that that's what you deal with a lot, isn't it, Nancy? Well, I think the reality is that 
when you are in the workplace, there is give and take on both sides. And I tell people, you know, it's the employees have their issues, the managers sometimes have their issues. But the point is, in the reality, and one thing I always tell people, in the workplace, you're there for the mission and vision of the organization, pure and simple. And so sometimes when I do workshops, I've told people, when you come into a workplace, getting friends is a byproduct of you doing your job. It's not a requirement to do your job. Let me say that again. Having friends in the workplace is a byproduct. It's not a requirement to do your job. Does it make the workplace more palatable? Absolutely. But is it necessary? No, it's not. You're there for the mission and vision of the organization. So sometimes you may work with people that you don't necessarily like, but that's not even the issue. The point is we're here to move the mission and vision forward. But the reality is that we know the textbook says, okay, you do X, Y, Z. But in reality, sometimes how I feel about a person if I'm the leader, and this is an employee of mine who is not somebody I'm fond of, or let's say they're not a worker, let's say they don't get their job done, or they're a one who's a slacker, I have my issues of how I view them. And so I may treat them differently, which can create problems. Let's say, let's say the opposite, you have a stellar employee who knows how to do his or her job, and they have a manager who's micromanaging them or who is giving them a hard time. That can create issues. So you really have to just sit down and say when there is an impasse, how do we work through this to get the job done to make sure that what we're doing for the company is achieved? That's, at the end of the day, that's why you're there. I like what you said, Nancy, about the micromanaging, because let me tell you what I think. Micromanagement is a, is, comes from the Industrial Revolution. We have more manufacturing companies where people had a job. They did that job and it was easy to manage them and easy to watch to see if they were doing the job. But the workplace has become more complex. It's not people are in more service-related jobs now or jobs that require critical thinking, and you can't have a manager managing like that. Would that be the same opinion that you have or you have a different opinion? You know, I think it's the same because what you're saying is that you can't one size fits, doesn't fit all. You can't have right. cookie cutter anymore. And I think probably in, the, in that era that was more plausible, something people did. Today you have to find, if I have 10 employees, I have 10 different personalities. I have to find out, okay, what do they need? Because you can't treat them all the same. Because that, that would be a, not a good thing to do as a, as a manager to treat all of them the same. Because you're using cookie cutter, one size fits all. That's a, that's, a, that's a kiss of death for a manager. You have to get to know your people at the appropriate level to say, how do I relate with Betty, Bob, Carl, Cindy? I get to know them at the personal level so I can give them what they need. Somebody needs more autonomy. Somebody needs more micromanagement. And I give them what they need. I always make the analogy. People say, I treat all my employees the same. I said, really? I said, do you have children? They said, yes. I said, you treat all your children the same? Well, no, because you, if you have three children, we all have grown up as siblings or even relatives. We don't treat everybody the same. We treat people based on what we know about them and how we relate to them. Because if you have three children, one child can get a cell phone maybe at 15, one gets one at 18 because of their responsibility level. So we don't treat them the same. We're fair and equitable with them. We love them, and that's true, but we give employees, we're fair and equitable with people. We give them what they need to be successful. If you need more guidance, I need to be more hands-on. If you need less guidance, I'm hands-off. But that's a true characteristic of a leader knowing his or her people. Nancy, I really like what you said there, and I want to ask you this. When you work with clients, do you have to deprogram them from the micromanagement? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a leader to everybody. I don't care how good the employee is. And how do you deal with that when you, when you deal with these people in these management positions? How do you overcome that behavior or that mindset? Well, I help them to understand if you are open and get to know your people at the appropriate level, valuing them as a whole person not just as an employee, but as a person. When they come to work, they have been a, they're a mom, dad, aunt, uncle, cousin, father. They have other roles. They bring all that into the workplace with them. So I have to begin to value that part of them as a holistic person and get to know them at the appropriate level and engage in dialogue that's genuine, saying, how are you doing? I have to get to know them at the appropriate personal level. When, you're more, when you get to know your people at, at a personal level, and that doesn't mean I'm looking to get all your business. That's not the case. But just saying, how are you doing? And I'm genuinely interested in how you were doing. It is a sad scenario if you have an employee working for you and they have a sick relative, a mom or dad that's sick, and you don't know about it. That's a sad scenario because wow. you should be able to say, how's your mom doing? Is she better? But I tell people, if you're not going to be sincere with the people recognize hypocrisy. And if it's not true and sincere, don't do it. 
But you have to, in this age, you have to be able to engage and get to know people at the appropriate level. People bring their whole self to work. They want to know that you care about them as a person. See, people don't leave an organization. They leave a toxic manager or toxic leader. Oh, wow, Nancy, hold that thought. We got to get into that. We'll take our first break. This is Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. We have a wonderful guest today, Nancy J. Lewis, president and founder of Progressive Techniques Incorporated. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game on Business Talk Radio with Dr. D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On. This is Talk with DeAnthony Miles. We have our wonderful uh, show today and our wonderful guest. Our topic today is leadership during times of change and leader challenges during COVID-19. And we have our wonderful guest, Nancy J. Lewis, president and founder of Progressive Techniques Incorporated. Nancy, I want to piggyback up on what you said in the last segment where you talked about people don't leave organizations, they leave toxic situations. Am I saying that right? That's correct. Why do you say that? <clears throat> Because I've had, a, I had a, I have a relative. I mean, I've seen it. I, I've seen it happen with other people. But I had a relative who this happened for her. She was working for a company, and she was coming in doing her job. And her manager was really giving her a hard time. And she basically sat down and said, "Can we talk about how we can, you know, work better together getting the job done?" She said, "Because I'm here to do my job. I just I want to do a good job here. So is, if it's something I'm not doing correct." Let me know. But my relative was doing it correctly. What she was doing was correct. And so she kept talking to her boss and saying, hey, I'm not a child. Don't talk to me this way. I'm an adult just like you are. So they had these discussions over a period of several months. And finally one day she came in to work on, it was a Monday she came in, and this day some things had not been done over the weekend in the workplace, and she began to berate my relative. And I'm, I'm keeping it, I'm saying relative so that, the, I'm just keeping it, just saying relative. So... She came in that day, and the manager began to just berate her and just like, you know, you didn't do this. And she said, I just got in. This was left from the, over the weekend. This is not my responsibility. And so she just went on and on, on. And finally, my relative said, you know, hey, you know, she went to her office. She said, I'm out. She said, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm out. She quit on the spot, left. So then the manager was like, well, no, 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 that's not, that's not, I don't want you to leave that, that you're a good employee. And she said, I can't deal with your, 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 you're not a good manager. How you treat people is not fair. A prime example, she loved the organization, but she just, I can no longer put up with this woman who is just berating, putting me down, riding my back, not giving me, you know, just treating me poorly. And we've had discussions and it doesn't change. She says, I'm out. And she left. And then, so that's an example, but there have been countless examples of where I've talked to people. That was a personal one. And she told me about it. She said, I just got up and left. She said, she said I left. <laughs> she said, I just gave my resignation in the middle of this. I'm out. And she left the organization. They lost great talent because she was very talented. And so what people have to understand is individuals, especially she was a millennial, and a lot of what you have to understand, a lot of younger workers are not willing to put up with foolishness about how you treat them, how you relate to them. They are definitely they, different generation. They will not yes. tolerate that. So she was like, you know, she said, I just couldn't handle it. She said, especially when she had been talking to her, helping her say, I'm an adult, you're an adult. Can we just talk to each other in a way that's respectful? And this day she came in and she just was like, boom, hitting her like a Mack truck. She said, you know what, I can't deal with this anymore, I'm out. So they, she lost a good employee. So sometimes what is happening is that managers are berating employees or they're talking down to them or they're talking at them, not to them. They're accusing them of things. Another one of my coaching clients, her manager accuses her first when something happens <clears throat> she comes to her and says you did this wrong you did this wrong why'd you do it this way and then she realizes within a, an hour or two that she didn't do it she has to come back and apologize so i told the client that i'm working with i said what you need to do is have a conversation with her. i said have you had that conversation no so you need to have a conversation to ask your manager why they accuse you first and then have to come back around and apologize later on because everything they've done, this has happened about two or three times for her, where each time the manager has to come back and apologize because they made a mistake. I said, it's a pattern here. And if you don't correct the pattern, it will continue. So you need to have a conversation with your manager to ask them why do they consistently do this, give them the examples of what's happened in the past because that's, that's the evidence. That, that's my HR background. Give them the examples of what's happened in the past, these last two or three occurrences that have happened in January, March, April, where you've said these things, you've accused me of these things, and then within the hour you have to come back and apologize because you realize somebody else did it. What causes you to accuse me first? 
That's a good question. Uh, what 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 kind of response did you get from that manager or leader? That well, no, this is the client was. I was coaching the client, and I was trying to right. have this conversation with her manager, and she's uh-huh. yet to have it because she said, "Well, I just." I said, "Well, if you don't have the conversation, then the behavior is going to continue." I said, you're not trying to be difficult. You have a right to ask the question. Because I gave her the, the steps of how to ask the questions. I said, I'm going to give it to you to say it the correct way so it's not offensive. And if you follow this, these steps I'm giving you, the only thing you can do is you're going to help educate your manager about how they're treating you. I said, otherwise, you're getting highly frustrated to a point where she's highly frustrated where she would consider leaving, but because of where she's working, she's just like, you know, she'll just deal with it. But based on her circumstances, because she has a lot of tenure there, she's not as likely to leave. That's the difference. Unless when people have more tenure in a place and they, they feel they're somewhat vested, they've been there for 20 years plus, they're not as likely to leave as a millennial coming in or a Zoomer coming in who say, you know what, I'm out of here. Cause she, well, I said, but you need to have the conversation with your manager asking them this question because it's stressing you out. I was going to ask you this, Nancy, because it sounds like there's two components to this. There's how the employee is reacting to the manager, and there's how the manager is behaving. And the employee is only reacting to something that's happened to them. And so uh, what when you work with these managers or leaders, what kind of people are you encountering? Are they, are they older, from an older generation? Are they less educated? Are they very set in their ways? Tell me what kind of – tell me what you see. I work with a myriad of managers. I work with – I would say if I had to give like a percentage, I would say probably 60% are – Boomers and X, Generation X, and probably okay. 40% Millennials. No, I'd probably say 70% are Generation X and Boomers, probably 30% Millennials. Mm-hmm. Because those that are, you have a lot of Boomers, and I'll just be very honest, some, some, some Boomers are set in their ways. They grew up in, sometimes in an autocratic, dictatorial, this is how we do things. But I said that pattern is no longer valid. Because people don't leave their brain at home. When they come to work, they have ideas, they have creativity, they have innovation, and they want to share that with you. But what happens sometimes is people get shut down. You bring up a new idea. Someone says, we tried that five years ago. It didn't work. And you just shut people down. So you're losing out on tremendous, valuable, innovative ideas that you're not getting because when you shut people down, they generally don't participate again. And then sometimes you lose good people. And then you have that revolving door that's costing businesses a lot of money because when people leave, it's very costly in terms of replacing them. And then the people that are left behind who are left to carry the weight because just because you lose three employees, that means that you replace them immediately. So the people that are left behind are now carrying the weight of the three people that are gone. Well, then you have to train new employees, and that costs money, you know, training, hiring, training, interviewing. Do these guys don't see that, see the effect of their cost of company money with, their, with this micromanagement and attitude? Do they, they don't see that? Because that, that can be tracked. That can it be can. definitely tracked. Those pro- progressive organizations or where people are held accountable, because the problem is sometimes in some organizations there's a lack of accountability. Mm-hmm. And if there's no accountability, there will be no change behavior. If I know that if I go to a workshop and I learn X, Y, Z, and I'm going to be held accountable for using those skills, and I'm going to have to give a report on it and talk about it at a team meeting, and people are going to be looking to see what I'm doing. I'm going to change, and if I'm not doing certain things, I'm going to be held to, I'm going to, be held to, the, to the fire for that. So I'm going to make changes, but sometimes we pass the buck. We make excuses. Prime example, we all have gone to meetings where a meeting is supposed to start at 10 o'clock, and the meeting starts at 10, 15, because no one's ever there on time. So that becomes a pattern of how people come to the meeting. Literally, they come to the meeting at 10, 15, because that's when it's going to start, even though we say 10 o'clock. And so people get a chance. They know what leaders, or let's say in management positions, because, again, you're a manager. You may or may not be a leader, but you're in management position. You have a, you have a record. People know how you are. They know Susie's meetings never start on time, so we can get there late. Bob's meetings, they'll start on time if he's the only one there. So people get a flavor for your style. They see how you are, and they see what happens, and people follow. They follow your lead. So if you're an ineffective leader and you're doing behaviors that are not effective is, is a, in a managerial role, people will generally follow what they see. But what happens is that because employees are emotional beings, as are managers, you have to, once again, get into understanding emotional intelligence, recognize the emotion that everybody has in the workplace, especially in this era now of COVID. People are self, you know, they have to be at home. They can't go out as much as they used to. They're doing Zoom calls. They're getting Zoomed out. You know, all these things that are happening, it's a different flavor, and you have to really check in 
I'm finding what happens, you just have to check in with your people to see how you're doing, not asking about work. Some of my managers I've said, just call your people one-on-one, do like a, a weekly check-in, how you doing, what's going on with you, everything okay, you got what you need. Not talking about work, just asking them how they're doing. And if it's sincere and genuine, you will gain so much more from just making that one call. But you've got to care about the people that work with you. That's the critical piece. I can't make you care about the people that work with you. You have to want to do that because you value them as not just workers but as people. Nancy, do you see these guys that you run into that have this attitude? And, and God forbid, I don't know how they're dealing with the COVID-19 uh, issue, but do you see that they may need to retire because how they're managing is not effective in, uh, in today's uh, 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 corporate environment? What's your thoughts on that? Well, you have a lot of people who have – I work with a lot of private and public organizations, and so one time somebody told me they have the RIP effect. I said, what's the RIP? What, what does that mean? You know, because we think uh, rest in peace. They said, no, they've retired in place. Oh. That's, that's the phrase many people I've use. I've never heard that before. Okay. <laughs> they have retired in place. So what means – sometimes I've had people told me, literally, Ms. Lewis, I have one year, two months, in four days, and I'm out of here. I said, really? So what does that mean? I got one year. I said, but you're still working here. So sometimes people literally have retired in place, and they refuse, because they're not held accountable, they refuse to make changes because they're just counting, they're counting the days. Some people actually have the days. just like I got 345 days left. What kind of said, person really? does that? That's, that's really not productive. No, but it it happens. That's real. Now, is it is it a lot of people? No, that I, but there have been I've encountered some in my journey in terms of working with people. They've told me those things, and so many people because they're at the end of their career, and they're like, you know, I'm got one more year. I'm not really trying to learn no new software. I'm not trying to learn X Y Z. I just want to coast on out of here, and because sometimes they're allowed to do that, that's the issue because sometimes no one's tasking them to say, no, you if you're going to be here another year, you need to learn this software. Well, then, you know, I'm out. Do you think that's an anti-learning behavior? Yeah, because it's like I'm not interested. In, I mean, literally, I have people who have been around for a long time who have been working for over 20 years. Nancy, I'm not interested in learning anything new right now. I said, well, then, sometimes you have, to, you have to consider, is it time for you to make your exit and to do something else that you want to do with your life? Adapt or die. But the reality is sometimes it's allowed because, again, they have intellectual knowledge that you need, that you've not done succession planning, you've not gotten into their head to find out some of the things you need to know. So sometimes you're held somewhat captive because you've not done mentoring in terms of having a mentoring process where you have mature people that are mentoring younger people, young people that are mentoring mature people, and so you have all this knowledge that would walk out the door if they left. So you, smart businesses are realizing they have to, and many of them are doing it, they have succession planning in place where you're trying to tap into the knowledge of a 30-year person who's been there because there's no way you can, someone can just be walking. They can't just work with you for two years and get all this in your head. There's no way. But you can begin to transfer by having a structured mentoring process, succession planning, where you are having the exchange of information that you need to that person retire or decide, you know, hey, I'm out of here. Why is that a challenge for these people that engage in this? Do you think it hurts the organization or it just hurts them? It hurts the organization because if you are an employee who once I knew this was a client of mine I had several years ago. I don't know where they are now, but they had had a person who had been in their HR department for 25 years. They, they had a person who had been in their HR department when they were doing stuff like manually. So back in the day when they were doing manual, a lot of manual stuff, yeah, and they were now evolved where they were doing, they were now using computers and all that stuff. But there was a lot of intellectual knowledge that person had, and my question was, who's working with that person to try to tap into all the knowledge? And one point they're like, well, no one. I said I would advise you that you want to get somebody to sit with that person to begin to, that person to mentor that, have someone mentor with that individual. Both ways, a person who's younger who can help them with innovation and, and computers and stuff, but also to tap into all the knowledge they have in their head that if they walk out the door, there's so much you're going to lose. And they were like, oh. I said, yeah, she's the only one, been in, she is the only one person who's been in this job for 20-some years, the only person. I said, and no one's trying to tap into what's in her head. I said, she can leave tomorrow. You all will be at a tremendous disadvantage. 
So they wow. listen, so they have somebody start working with her. So sometimes people are not thinking. Now, larger organizations generally do, they have a much better handle of succession planning. So they have systems in place, and I always encourage them to have mentoring programs, whether they're structured or they're, whether they're formal or informal programs, it doesn't matter, but have some kind of mentoring where there is an exchange of information so that you don't lose intellectual knowledge when people leave. Because that's the challenge because it impacts the organization because if that person really was the only one who knew how to do something and knew some of the secrets, as I would say, about how to get the job done, and they leave, you're forced to bring them back as a consultant because you need what they have. Wow. Nancy, hold that thought. we got to really get into this. This is, this is uh, astounding. This is Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Bowles. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game On Business Talk Radio with Dr. D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We have our topic today, Leadership During Times of Change, Leadership Challenges or Leader Challenges During the COVID-19. We have our wonderful guest, Nancy J. Lewis, President and Founder of Progressive Techniques Incorporated. Nancy, let's piggyback on what we said in the last segment. Um, this RIP stuff, which I don't like, okay, that's basically a toxic work environment because you got a guy just coasting. He's not trying to be progressive. And then I was, you made me think of something else when you were when you were going over that. You have people that are lifers. You know what that means, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They get a job. They get inside the organization. They get their foot in the door, and they they stay in this one box, mm-hmm. and then. This guy wonders why he's the first one that's getting downsized. Because I had a mm-hmm. situation that was personal like that for me. I had a lady that was telling me that they, uh, she worked for a major insurance company, and they did a major, major downsizing. And uh, one of the ladies, she said it was a sad story. This lady started when she was like 16, 17 years old at the company. And now mm-hmm. she's in her late 40s or 50s, I believe. And she said, she wants to know why she was being downsized. She was happy. She was a good employee. She says, let me ask you something, Ms. So-and-so. Did you ever take advantage of the employee uh, education? Uh, 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 oh, I forgot they call it. Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, professional development classes. Education education reimbursement where they will, the company will invest in you to get your degree. Because this lady didn't have a degree. She started with the company when they were young. She had a high school diploma when she got in. We talking, this was in the 70s, I think. Well, the company has grown. They're automated. They are a different company than they were in the 70s. And they said, you never took advantage of the tuition reimbursement program. You never went and pursued your degree. You stayed at the same job for 30-plus years. You never tried to upgrade your skills. And you're wondering why we made a decision to let you go. Tell me your thoughts on that scenario. That person, that, that's so unfortunate because that is what happens when you don't invest in becoming better in your job. What happens when they're looking to say, okay, who do we let go? They're looking at who is going to impact us the least and letting us go. Okay, this person here, they've not learned anything. They've not done anything different. They've been coasting for 30 years basically, doing their job, doing a great job at what they do, but not stepping outside the box. And so I'm always telling people, I just had a conversation. I did a workshop earlier this week. We talked about branding you and the organization. I said, in an organization, people, you have to take educational classes that your corporate, your organization offers. If not, as you said, tuition reimbursement, go back, get a whatever degree, whatever, do something, but you have to continue to learn and invest in you. It's not optional. You have to do that. And failure to do that, when they're looking across the board as to who they're going to let go, they're going to say, okay, Bob's done five classes. He's got his master's now. Cindy's done this. She's got her baccalaureate. Maybe it's not even that. They've taken classes internally on leadership, communication, emotional intelligence. The list goes on. They have been continually investing in themselves, learning over the process of the years they've been there. And so they're a valuable asset because you see that they want growth and development. When you stay stuck in a place, it says that you're not interested in growing. And that's okay. But now when you're looking at we have to decide, okay, who do we keep? We need 10 employees. We got 15. Who do we let go? Well, you can look at those who have not done anything to really invest and maybe even add value to the organization in terms of gaining new skill sets, new Do you run into that a lot, Nancy? Do you run into that a lot? I don't run into that as much because I do – well, let me say with the people that I work with, I'm always pushing 
people to invest in themselves. I tell them I invest in myself as an entrepreneur. I take classes. I pay for classes, and I tell them they have to do the same thing. Their organizations sometimes have universities in the, in the organization for them to go to and get classes and sometimes certifications, and you don't do it. You don't even have to pay for it. So I'm trying, I encourage people, you have to brand you. You have to make sure you're investing in you because the more you have, the more you can do for an organization, the more experience and depth you have in terms of things you know how to do within the organization, whether you have a promotion. You may take a lateral move, but if you're learning something new, you still are more valuable to the company than doing nothing at all. So you have to be willing to sometimes, if there's not a promotional opportunity, but there's a lateral move that will gain you additional insight and knowledge and skill sets about the company, that's going to be value-added for you. That's putting it in your toolbox so that you have more tools. So when they think about letting people go, they're going to say, you have ten tools in your box, you have two. Who am I going to let go? It's a no-brainer. So I encourage, my, I encourage my managers in terms of when they're in different roles, no matter if they're the CEO, I say, you still need to invest in you, learning different things, taking a class just to become more mindful because a tipping point for effective leaders today, I tell people one thing that will help people to become really dynamic is your ability to relate to people, the emotional intelligence, the EQ factor. How do you relate to other people? People skills is becoming the essential tool, the tipping point for managers who are going to be effective. The more effective you are at relating to people, the more dynamic you'll be at leading. I got to ask you this question. I was just thinking about this while you were uh, talking about this situation, which is sad that we saw people live in a la la land like that. Do you do you think the new mantra now is I value loyalty over talent? Is that the new mantra? Um, I would not say so because loyalty. When you think of loyalty, what do you, what comes to mind? You think about loyalty. What comes to mind for you, D'Anthony? When you think about loyalty, what comes well, to mind for you? You can abuse this person and they stay with you. You stay married to them. <laughs> and you mistreat them, but they stay with you. And then, you know, you see a new person and you, that person looks better than You don't leave because you're loyal. So tell me if I'm, is that right? <laughs> so I, I would say what I tell people, as an HR professional that has worked and hired in the past, I said you can train for skill. You can't train for attitude. Okay, okay. That's good. So I can, if a person, it, this is an example, this happened years ago, but it just it was just so hilarious. I just have to share it. Um, it came to mind, so I'm just going to share it now. Uh, this is years ago, but the story makes a point because it still, it could be some relevance today. This young lady was working in a store as a retail salesperson, and her boss was watching her. She was handling the customers well. She was doing a good job, doing everything correct in terms of how she was handling things. And so at the end, when the customer left out of the store, the manager went up to the salesperson and said, you did a great job working with the client, you, the, the customer, you got them what they needed, they left, they were pleased. She said, but one thing you didn't do when you were engaging with the, with the customer. She said, what was that? The manager told the, the, the salesperson, she said, you didn't smile. This, she said, this young lady's response was, when you hired me, you didn't tell me I had to smile. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I just make that story because sometimes you go out, you see things. Common sense is not always common. And so when you think about hiring people for talent, yeah, you want the talent. But I tell people when I would interview people, I could see on your resume you have the skill set because your resume says you've got all these qualifications. My question is what I would ask people are related to how you're going to navigate people issues, conflict regarding teams, projects, et cetera, because I can see you can do the job. But can you navigate people issues? Because if you, I don't care if you're engineers, engineers, at the end of the day, yes, you're very scientific, very left brain. I get that, all that good stuff. You're linear thinking. You're very pragmatic. I understand that. But when you have a team of five people, you have five different people with five different emotions. And you have to apply some of your right side of your brain, some of that emotional intelligence to find out what's going on with them in order to get them to work better on that team to get that project done quicker. Well, God, let me ask you this, Nancy, since you brought that up. You have made me think of this. Is this some people that are too talented to be working for an organization? They brought people the wrong way. Uh, they're arrogant, but they're very good at what they know. But you ask them to, you know, have a beer with the fellas. That's not them. Have you seen that before? Yeah, I think what people have to realize is that, yes, I've seen people that have been talented, skilled, very competent. And sometimes what the challenge is that when that occurs, generally they're working for a manager who is not as competent, and they're intimidated by them. Oh. And sometimes because a person is very talented, they're very skillful, they're very knowledgeable about something, they come in. I mean, I've known when people have been brought in from the outside who come in who 
Again, sometimes they may know more, they may not know more, but they're being trained by somebody who knows the job, who they thought they wouldn't get the job, and they didn't. They're training somebody who's going to come in who knows little, less than they know. Because there have been times where people have been internally, they've not gotten a position that they thought they were qualified for, and they know they have the skill set. Then they'll bring somebody from the outside in who doesn't even have the skill set, and then that person has to train them. Why, why does that happen? I, I got to ask you: Is that just bad management decisions, bad leadership decisions? Um, yeah, are that's all that is. Not that assessing is. talent properly, because I tell me if you agree with this, Nancy. When you come into an organization as a new manager, a new leader, or whatever, shouldn't you always be assessing the people that work under you? Know who your superstars are, know who the slackers are, and that kind of thing. That's why you, there's a there's a story I tell people when you are. When you come into a new position, if, if, regardless of whether you get the position coming from the outside or you get it internally, what you want to do when you come in as a new manager where you have 10 people that are on your team, you don't come in making changes initially. You come in and get to know, again, the players who are working with you. You want to know, okay, where are their strengths? What, who do you need to understand where they are? You get to know them. You have one-on-ones with all of them to get to know them, say, hey, I may be the manager, but I need to get to know you in terms of things you know about the organization, things you need to know about what we're working on. I want to get to know you at the personal level. So I know how to play to your strengths and how to utilize you, but I'm getting to know you personally before I come in making changes. Then I'm going to be asking your feedback, your input. You don't come in changing this, the landscape with, without getting to know the players because that's the kiss of death as a, as a manager, to come oh, in making immediate changes. But people do that sometimes. They come in and they start making changes. They don't know who the players are. And the very person that you may need to help you, you may alienate early on, and they will keep information from you. They'll give you enough to get by, but they could give you so much more. That reminds me of Watkins' book, I believe. The Harvard professor wrote a book called The First 90 Days, and he talks about that, where people come in and the first the – first, uh, plot of destruction for your career is when you come in and start making changes because you didn't assess the organization properly. Yep. You didn't assess the people that work under you. You just came in and start making changes. Is that just the American attitude? The new sheriff in town wants to come in and make changes? Well, I mean, tell me your thoughts, Nancy. I think it's just a, it's just how businesses are done in, 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 in America, it's how people come in. And sometimes they've not been taught because a lot of this, if you have been taught – and I tell people, everybody I work with, people I coach, people, clients I work with, I said, when you get a new role, you don't come in. And I would, sometimes the 90-day, 120 days, I said, but you don't come in making changes. You wait before you make changes because you don't know who the players are. You need to know who are the players on your team, first of all, and how do you, you find their strengths and what they know, their depth of understanding and knowledge of the organization because they know stuff that you don't know. And you want to tap into that. But if you alienate them early on, you will not get it. Oh, totally agree. And your team will fall apart. So I think it's a point of sometimes people just – many people are promoted to levels that are beyond the level of understanding leadership. So, again, if I'm going to make you a manager, you've never managed people before. Because you don't manage people. You lead people. You manage the process of getting things done through people. People don't want to be managed. They want to be led. See, that so, connects to what you said earlier, Nancy. People don't leave the organization. They leave a toxic environment with a it. manager. That's, that, that's clear because if you have a manager who is just uh, ineffective, who talks down to people, who maybe cusses, who does different things, and these are things that happen sometimes in the workplace. These are behaviors I've heard people share with me. They have managers who yell at them and scream at them and all kind of stuff. And I just say, first of all, that's bully behavior. Yep. And you have to do a timeout. You have to say, excuse me. You do a timeout. You have to do a timeout. Excuse me. And, again, if the emotions are high, I always tell people, and I told them this week when I did my workshop, if the emotions are high, you don't have the conversation in that moment because what will come through will be emotion that's laced on your words and nothing will be heard, nothing will, nothing will change. So you have to step away and decompress, exhale, whatever you need to do, but within 24 hours you need to have that conversation about what happens when you do this. Because I had a boss once who made a comment in a, in a this, this has been over 20 years ago when I was my last corporate job. And he was in a meeting, and he thought he was just going to be cute, and he made this little comment about me, and all the people on the team just laughed because they thought it was funny. And I was the only person of color on the team. Oh, wow. So I, so I, I, I gave him, you know, I just, I didn't say anything. I said, because I gave, I said, I'm going to give you a free pass. I gave you a free pass. I mean, I'm going to give grace. So I said, if it happens again, I'm going to address it. So it happened again. So I stopped. I said, can we stop for a moment? Can I talk to you in the hallway? I stopped the meeting. Oh, wow. I said, we go in the hallway, and I explained to him how I felt about it and that it was inappropriate, and I did not find any humor in it, and that was unacceptable for me. And for him to make comments like that needed to stop, I don't need to have this happen again. 
And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. I'm like, well, I know how you might have meant it. It's message meant versus message sent. I said, but the way it came across, I said, it's, it's basically undermining me. It's uh, ridiculing me. I said, and I, I'm not fond of it. I said, I don't want you to do it again. So I just want you to know how I felt. And people were like, that, that was just my style. I had that boldness. It's like, no, you, I gave you a free pass the first time. I don't believe time, I don't believe him saying that to you, Nancy. I really don't. People know what they're doing. I really well, do. Well, he, but the first time he did, I gave him a pass because it was just totally in, unacceptable. But I was like, okay. And I said, if it happens again, I'll address it. Because sometimes I just realized, you know, I think he knew what he was saying. But when he did it the second time, that's when I said, oh, no, 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 no. This is where we got to stop. So after that happened. Because no that's problem. a pattern. The second time, you yep. stupid the first time, yep. I'm going to let it slide. The second time, now that's a pattern. No. Yep. And if you don't say something, that's what I tell people. When people do things, bullies are only bullies because you allow people treat you the way you allow them to. Oh wow, and that's so deep. If you give, if you give people, if you give a manager the leeway where they can talk to you any kind of way, and you don't say anything, and it continues, I said, but if you wait when your emotion has subsided, you may want to get some advice from your HR professional as to how to have the conversation. But you go to that manager and say, hey, yesterday when we had that conversation, and you said. You talk to me as in a very demeaning fashion, and this is what you said. That is not acceptable for me. That's not respectful. That's not lining up with the mission and vision of the organization. And going forward, I'd like us to make sure we don't have those kind of conversations again. And generally when people do that, you're amazed because people are like, oh, I'm sorry, they won't happen again. Because when you approach and you confront a bully in a professional way, the behavior stops. But most people let them get away with it. So it continues. Nancy, we're going to have to bring you back. I'd definitely like to get your insight on workplace bullying if you'd be interested. I'd definitely, definitely like to get your insight on that because that's the problem at the corporate environment uh, with uh, now workplace bullying. It's getting to be where it's getting uh, lawsuits and lawyers are getting involved. It's uh, in the stress level for me. people. People are stressed out because of that, because they have bully bosses. I have had relatives who have been in jobs who have had bully bosses, and I've had to say, well, take back your power. I've given them a stress. I said, go back. This is what you do. <laughs> I said, they've gone back and applied and done what I told them to do, and they took back their power. I said, no, you don't give a bully your power in the workplace. Have you lost your mind? Nancy, hold that thought. We, we need to take a break. I want to piggyback up on that, on workplace bullying and the leadership with the COVID-19. This is Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game On Business Talk Radio with Dr. D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We have our uh, topic today, leadership during times of change, leader challenges during COVID-19. We have our wonderful guest, Nancy J. Lewis, president and founder of Progressive Techniques Incorporated. And Nancy, I want to piggyback up on what you said on the last segment. We're getting into the bullying behavior in terms of a toxic environment. And why does this – Why? you gave a great scenario about uh, somebody make making you the butt of the joke because that is a form of bullying in a sense, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. What do people? Especially when everybody right? laughs. Exactly, because that's a form of humiliation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Why do people do that kind of stuff? I'm just curious. What's been your experience? I, I think people do it sometimes because of sometimes it's ignorance. Sometimes it's just pure ignorance. Sometimes it's not knowing that you're dealing with people who have emotions and that you actually are hurting their feelings, and that sometimes it's, it's you know what you're doing. You want, you want to intimidate people because you want them to feel that if they don't act a certain way, it's like I'm holding this. If you don't act a certain way, if you don't let me do certain things, then your job could be in jeopardy or I could give you a poor review, et cetera, et cetera. And so I tell people when, when bully behavior occurs, I say when someone talks to you in a way that's demeaning and disrespectful or they're yelling at you and all that, I said in the moment, sometimes I may just do a timeout in the moment, excuse me, stop, because the point is there are mission and vision statements. Every organization has one. And generally they're talking about we respect our people, blah, blah, blah. I said, so you refer back to that and say what just took place now was not reflective of that. So can we start this conversation over? Generally when you do that in a respectful way, first of all, they're taken back like, wow, they put me in check. They are like, okay, no problem. But many people let them get by for Some people, that's not my style. I said, so this is your style to be stressed out because you have a bully boss? I said, because stress wow. takes its toll in terms of your organization because you're going to be off day six. Because I did a workshop on stress earlier this year. I think it was $300 billion annually organizations lose for stress-related incidents. That's a lot of money. Why do these guys don't get that? 
uh, Nancy. Well, what, what's the problem? Are you are you just blind? Are you stupid? Because you have it's... to understand what you're doing is you're affecting the bottom line. They don't have this reservoir of money to keep bringing in people to train them because you're running them off. What, what do you, how do you how do you get through to these guys? What do you say to them? It's it's, it's just a a problem until it really impacts their bottom line, their profits. Until you really impact profits where it's significant. That's what gets people's attention. I tell people, and when you begin to equate, and sometimes when I work with clients, I help them understand if this $10 person that you're paying who's your administrative professional, think about it. I worked with a client years ago, and I said, the last touch point that a person has, I was working with a car dealership, is generally the person who rings the person up. The person who takes the money, doesn't matter, you know, they have their car done, all that stuff has been serviced. You're here, this cashier who is now taking the money. Based on the last touch point you have with an organization sometimes will be how you view the organization and whether you come back, especially in terms of a service area. So that person generally gets the least amount of training. So sometimes people who have the greatest touch points to your clients, your, the people that you're trying to get in, are getting the least amount of training. And sometimes you're bringing people in literally who don't have the skill set. They were not raised to understand customer service. They're not, they were not raised to understand certain things. So certain things they don't do or they don't say. How many times have you ever gone to a restaurant prior to COVID? Even anywhere you've gone in and you've been in, a, let's say, a quick service place, and they've been texting while they're trying to take your order. Or you've been in a grocery store, and then the grocery store, they are, the person who's ringing up your groceries, they're texting in between ringing up your items. That's bad. That's really bad. I would say people have, still do that kind of stuff. Oh, this, it's real. I mean, it's, I mean, people have almost run into me in stores because they've been busy texting. Who are working for the store in the produce area, different areas, they're busy texting because this is how we do business. People walk on the sidewalk texting, crossing the street. Mm. Our phones have become a major deterrent from us being in tune with what's going on around us. You wow. see, I'm sure people walking down the street. Think about it. Before COVID, when you're flying a whole lot, people didn't talk to each other. They were busy on their phones. That's true. Absolutely. That is so true. Wow. Unbelievable. People are not present anymore. Even sometimes when you're doing Zoom calls and things, people sometimes don't even put their picture up because that means they're multitasking. They're doing other things. That's just, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. You have to understand that. We're in a new landscape and organizations and progressive managers who are effective and dynamic leaders who become leaders. Because, again, a manager can be good at what he or she does. I'm not saying they cannot be. But sometimes you have managers who need to learn leadership skills and how to, how to relate to the people that support them. A true leader is someone, whether they have the title or not, influences other people. People like being around them, and there's transparency, there's authenticity, there's authenticity that's with them, and there is honesty with them. They respect people. They walk in integrity. Those are qualities that are there that people want to follow. Absolutely. Wow, that is a wealth of information. Um, is it just people that are just bad leaders? I mean, you can't you can't train them. You can't show them a better way. Is it just some people that you just can't do anything with them? They refuse to take your advice. They refuse to learn new things. What do you do with a guy like that? I mean, have you ever recommended to a company they need to get rid of somebody? I'm sure mm-hmm. I have. have. What's I have. been their response? He's what, related <laughs> well, to the boss? What? <laughs> well, sometimes they say, well, you know, well, it's a point of Nancy that you do X, Y, Z. At the end of the day, they basically say, well, well, we'll, we'll work and see what we need to do. But I said, until there's some sincere, until there's some serious accountability, I said, because what's happening, that people see that you all make threats, but you don't, you don't hold to, you don't, you don't follow through on what you say. I said, so if you're like, if you have a child, if you tell your child you don't clean your room, I'm taking your cell phone, and then they don't clean their room and they keep their cell phone, they just laugh. That's what happens sometimes in organizations. We say things to people, if you don't do this, this is the, these are the consequences of that, but then there are no consequences. And if there are no consequences, there's no change behavior. If I know that I can do certain things and no one's going to call me on the carpet for it or no one's going to put me on a performance plan to do some things differently, if I know this is not going to take place, why would I have to change? I don't have to. So there's there no to incentive be... to change. Exactly. So there is, I'm not going to be held to task on it. And you're not going to sit me in and say, okay, now we're going to put you on a performance plan, that these things we're going to have to have you work on over the next 60 to 90 days. We need to see some improvement. If that does not happen, where people see that you're serious about behaviors, especially those that continue to take place, and there's nothing that happens with this company where I've told them you need to consider this person on getting them on a performance improvement plan, and if things don't change, then you need to maybe consider helping them find some other career options. But that's ultimately, I can't mandate that as a consultant. I just make recommendations. But I said, if you don't make some of these changes, what will happen is some of the problems you're having within the teams that they're leading 
and the departments that they're handling, you're going to continue to see the toxic behaviors. You're going to continue to see the productivity that's not where it needs to be, the performance that's not there, high absenteeism, and ultimately people leaving. Well, I've got to ask you this, Nancy, and I know that you deal with this a lot. Is it you feel the organization is enabling that employee or manager or leader to do what they do? you believe that? I think, I think enabling because if you're not holding them to task, yes, you're enabling them. If you're not going to hold them to say, we expect more from you, then, yes, you're enabling that, employee, that, that manager. So you can get more of what, you, what you've already been getting. And sometimes you have to understand it's a culture. Sometimes there's a culture of an organization or an agency, whether it's a private or public, there's a culture that's been established based on how you do things there. And that culture did not occur overnight. And sometimes you're trying to change a culture, and it takes, it takes a while for a culture to shift because you've got people who've been there for years, who've been doing things a certain way, been okay with that. And so you're coming in now as a new person with new ideas, innovative things you think can happen and change how things are done things we can do around helping to relate to people better, et cetera. And they're like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, so sometimes we, we don't need all that. That's too much because, again, you're representing change, and what's going to have to happen is that you're going to have to learn how to embrace the newness that's coming in. Because 50% of the workforce now, according to Pew Research, is, are millennials. Now, maybe that's not impacting certain organizations, but some of them are seeing that millennials are wired differently. They do things differently. They, have, they want to succeed. They want to do a great job. But you, it's a different, you have to lead differently when you're leading different groups. It can't be one size fits all, period. Whether you're doing why, why do these guys are still doing that? They don't get it? Uh, what's been they, your experience? It's, 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 it's hard for them to change. You, think about it. If you've been doing something a certain way for years, let's say 10, 15 years, it's ingrained, and it's kind of how you do things. And now someone says, okay, I want you to make a shift. And based on, you know, that in the culture of the organization, making a shift, this not, they're not really going to push it, but I really don't have to do anything differently. So it, is, it really depends on the culture of the organization in terms of saying we want change, we want progressive movement in the direction of we realize one size fits all doesn't work. So we've got to take people, be disruptive to make people feel uncomfortable because that's when they grow. It has to be a cultural shift. Why? It doesn't take place overnight. Do you think some organizations, and maybe it's the culture, because I know you do this a lot in your in your uh, your uh, clients with your clients. Do you think organizations are more resistant to a cultural shift than say something on a smaller scale like what we were just talking about? Because it could be the culture that enables bad behavior. I mean, what's your thoughts, Nancy? It is because the culture does enable bad behavior. It goes it, it because if a culture is that. Bully people are bullies in the organization. They've been allowed to be bullies. That's the culture of the organization. You got bully bosses there. They've been allowed to do that. And until someone actually holds someone to the task or says, you know, hey, this doesn't work for me. This is not how you're going to talk to me. And they go to HR and they talk to HR and say, this is a problem because it's creating problems over here for me. I can't do my job. I'm stressed out. Until some of those things begin to happen, you're not going to see a shift. So someone's got to disrupt the boat for things to change. And, again, you're talking about now COVID has, uh, COVID has shifted a whole lot of stuff. COVID has shifted a lot of people into doing things differently, having to learn how to lead virtually. And some people um, are doing a better job than these others. Guys, these guys are not adapted to that too good, are they? Because they used to well, be some in. Of them, some, of them, some of them are really doing quite well. Some are, some are challenged. But the key thing, it goes back to how you were doing things before COVID. That's an indication. How were you as a leader before COVID? Because if you were a great leader before and you didn't have a problem with your people and you trusted your people that you work with, you trusted them, you know that the people you had working you, they valued you and they respected you as a leader because of how you treated them, because it goes back to how you, treat, how you make your people feel. That doesn't mean you still give them discipline when they need correction, you give them constructive feedback, but you value and respect them. You treat the janitor like you do the CEO. It's not about title. Respect is something everyone understands. And so when you are a, a manager who is in a leadership role that you value your people and you value them and you seek input, how would you, what are your suggestions on this? And you are open to dialogue and you want to say, you give them feedback, good feedback, you give them constructive feedback, and you're open to it and you value them as a person, but you're respectful in how you do it and you talk to them as if they are a person, they're going to work harder for you. But if you are someone who is not, does not apply those same skill sets or those same competencies, you're going to have some problems in terms of how people relate to you. Now, I've got to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Now, now, tread carefully when you answer this. Let's look at our president. What leadership challenges do you see that he has? 
Um, <laughs> I, I'll just, I would just say, I'll just, I, I, just, I just, I don't have a comment at this point. I don't have a comment. Okay, give me, give me one thing. Give me one thing. I want you to give me a lot. Give me one thing that you see as a challenge for him. I, I, can, I can give you one. I don't have a comment. I just, I don't have a comment. I just, I don't have a comment. I'm just right now, I'm like, I was in a different vein. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what I see that's the problem, and you're an expert on this. Inability to listen to credible people. You should always listen to your people that are experts, right? Well, if you look at corporate America, um, let me just say I work with a lot of corporate executives, and mm-hmm. the reality is that the bottom line is people are people are unique. They're different. All I said they're special, and people have who they're going to listen to, who they're not going to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I see it happening in corporate. Many times you have people that are there to give you guidance and give you insight, and sometimes you take it, sometimes you don't, and sometimes you don't take it, you know, there are repercussions for it. So you have people leaving doors. People are leaving mass organizations because of sometimes decisions that were made because people didn't listen. That is real. I totally agree. And, 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 and on that note with him, I believe he doesn't listen to people that know more than he does. And he makes decisions based on what he thinks, not based on the advice he was given. And you see that a lot in, when you deal with your clients, right? I see, I see leaders who are in organizations who, you know, I tell them, sometimes I tell them, if you do this, I'm, I'm a, I will give them a roadmap for saying, okay, if you want this to happen with your team, mm-hmm. these are the three things you want to do. I give them a script. I will write it out. These are the things you this, this will help you. I'm going to give you the script for this. And what will happen is that they'll say, okay, that's great, Ms. Lewis. Thank you very much. I said, no, no. So, so what does that mean? Well, we're going to take it under advisement. Okay, I always okay. Fine, I'm good. You know, it's what I've given you the script. So you know, all I can do is give you the script, the roadmap. I can't make anybody do anything. Have they ever called you back after you've done that? After you mapped out what they should do and what happened? Yeah, they have. And then they're like, you know, we should have listened to you. Like, how you think? (laughs) (laughs) But I don't. You know, I don't. I don't believe in saying I told you so. That's not my thing. I said, how do we go forward? Because I'm a consultant. How do we go for? How do I help you get out of this? And then how do I equip you and your leaders, your managers, your team, so that you don't get back in this place again? That's a critical piece. Let's, you don't, it's not failure is never final unless you don't learn from it. So I tell people, people who've never tried anything have never have. They say, well, I've never failed. They've never tried anything because you can't live this life and not fail if you've done some things. Because all of us have failed. We, I know I failed. I've tried some stuff. I failed it, but that didn't stop me. I just kept going. I said, okay, what did I learn from this? Because every lesson, one of my girlfriends says, you take the lesson, you leave the baggage. So you oh, take wow. what lesson did I get from this? Okay, now how do I take that lesson and apply it to something else? I had a manager. I had a boss once. I, made a, I was doing a process. I was doing a uh, – I knew I was doing something. I was taking shortcuts on a procedure, and I knew that. And I knew that if I ever – if it, something could happen, it could cause it to, to, to backfire in my face. But I was willing to take the chance. So – I did it for months. I was taking shortcuts, and one day it backfired. And it was real evident that, you know, I had made a major faux pas. And so she called me in and said, look at what you did. This is what you did. And I said, you are absolutely correct. I messed up. I took a shortcut. I've been doing it for a while, but I got caught. So the question is, how do we fix it now? And so I owned up to it quickly and just said, you know, hey, what do we what, – how do we? and she was taken back because she was expecting me to defend myself. I knew I was taking a shortcut. I knew that if it, if it fell apart – it could come back to haunt me, and it fell apart, and I just said, hey, I take ownership for it. I, I, I said, I got caught. How do we fix it? And she was just like, for a minute, she just stood, and she was kind of like. You took her ability to argue with you. That's what they don't like. When you said, what could I do to fix this? Because you, you shifted from the problem to fixing the problem. Am I right? Yeah, because I, I realized, I said, you're right. I took a shortcut. I was, I was out of order. I was not supposed to do that. But I've, been, I've gotten away with it for Sometimes I said, and now I got caught, so I won't do it this way anymore. So, you know, so it was like, I, it was like my hand was caught in the candy jar. What am I going to do? Wow. <laughs> well, Nancy, I wanted to ask you, we're getting toward the end of our show. I want to ask you, if listeners want to get in contact with you and are interested in doing business with you, what's the best way they can reach you? They can reach me at 770-964-5533. 770 or they can email me at nancy at 
Progressive Techniques Inc. That's inc.com. Or go to my website, www.progressivetechniqueinc.com. That's how they can reach me. I'm on LinkedIn as well. They can find me on LinkedIn, you know, the social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn regularly. Awesome. Well, Nancy, I want to thank you for joining us today. That was a wonderful show. I like to. If you're interested to talk about workplace bullying, I think that's the show that we need to have because that's we get we getting people getting bullied on uh, Zoom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, people people treat you the way you allow them to. So um, uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's that's a, that's that's a conversation. Bullying is bullying is real. It is real. It's unfortunate, but it's real. Dar, well, let me know. We'll we'll talk off the air, and I would like to know if we can set that up because I think you definitely got a a handful of uh, experiences to share with us. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Well, I had to put people in in check. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. This is Nancy J. Lewis, president and founder of Progressive Techniques Inc. Definitely want to bring you back to that. So that's our show for today. I'm out of here. This is Game On Business Talk with the Anthony Miles. We will see you next week. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Game On Business Talk Radio with host D. Anthony Miles.